Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is the driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire, and keep your Azure skills up to date by going to solveto.fi slash pro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Uh, lately, mostly this week, I've been meeting people in person, you know, the 3D version of, of people. and. I think something happened when we got to 2023. It's it's quite easy now to schedule lunch meetings, uh, morning coffee catch up with people you haven't seen in a year or two. You occasionally chat with them or you do emailing or, or whatever virtually. So I, I think I've spent most of this week leaving home in the morning, going to meet a bunch of people in different cities nearby where I live in Helsinki. And then I come back home at four o'clock and you sort of think it was great. Did I get anything done? Nothing to show for it. But at the same time, I did get the social connection. And, and somehow that seems now more valuable than attending 10 back-to-back -back Teams meetings doing whatever you normally do. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of ingesting the idea here. Yeah, that's that's really nice. And I, I do miss meeting people as well. Uh, I think we've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast that I've been working from home for about eight years. And I spend more time talking with my coffee machine than I do with actual people. So I, I do miss people as well. And speaking of coffee machines, I started looking into getting a new coffee machine again. And now when I started to look, unfortunately, I found out that there are Wi-Fi enabled espresso machines and I can control them from bed when I'm waking up or whatever. The unfortunate thing about that is, of course, that I kind of stopped drinking coffee, but I still want a coffee machine because obviously it has Wi-Fi and some IoT stuff and I can connect it to my cloud and I can do some analytics in, in Azure on it. So I'm looking into that now. That's my new spare time project is figuring out the best coffee machine to get so all my guests will be happy and then I will figure out if, if I'm going to start drinking caffeine or not. But that's secondary. I just want this thing because I've been looking at it for a while. So, so yeah, that's me. We've been doing the podcast for a little bit over three years and, and all the time we've been remote. So when you get the Wi-Fi enabled espresso coffee machine, let me know. Then I will fly over to get the coffee, not because <laughs> of the podcast. All righty. So this week we will be talking about Azure Landing Zone with Dom Allen. And I, I think we mentioned ALC a few times here and there, but we never really had a chance to focus on that, did we, Toby? No, we didn't dive into it, and we did have a, a bunch of questions from people. I've had questions about Azure Landing Zones myself, so it's actually a, a good opportunity today as we have a guest with us, Dom Allen, working with content strategy for Microsoft in the areas of cloud adoption framework, the well-architected framework, and Azure Architecture Center. Welcome, Dom. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. So yeah, I'm, I'm Dom Allen. I work in our skilling organization. So that's the the team that looks after docs and the learn platform. And I kind of work on the strategy for the cloud adoption framework, the well-architected framework and the Azure Architecture Center, working with all kinds of clever people from across the company, kind of building that, that best practices. Sounds interesting. So on Azure Landing Zone, I've mentioned that casually a number of times in presentations and workshops. And I've read through, I think, everything there is to it. But at the same time, it always sometimes leaves me wondering, so so what is it really? Is it is it a bunch of documents or is it something else? It's it's a bit of both. So if we're gonna take a step back, 
so obviously cloud adoption framework is that set of methodologies start to finish for how we kind of help customers find their way through their journey being successful in Azure. And in kind of the core of that, in the center of it, is the ready methodology. And that's the first kind of set of technical steps that we we teach customers about. And the real hero of that methodology is Azure Landing Zones. And we've done a huge amount of work over the last year or two to really kind of expand the guidance, you know, improve it, add some kind of all of the lessons we've learned with customers to make it kind of the central part of a really good cloud adoption journey. Um, so the the why, the importance of it is it really sets people up to be successful because it's it's building those good foundations. Right. And so what I really like about this, the, the concept is like it's kind of a starting ground for people going to Azure or if you're already in Azure, you could set up a, a new landing zone to kind of leverage that structure and, and get a framework yeah. really for how to manage your resources. So so who is the audience here? Because I, I know a lot of time when people reach out, they say, well, we're not an enterprise. We don't look at this stuff. Is this only enterprise scale companies that should look at this? Or is this something that anyone can benefit from? Yeah, I think definitely any any organization that's looking to be successful in Azure and has plans to grow in the cloud, this is what they should be kind of considering because it's it's a it's a kind of it's a platform whether you're going to put a hundred works workloads on it day one or whether you're going to do it over time over years. Really, what we're teaching is get your foundations right at the beginning because then everything else grows safely, securely. So it's not just for big organizations. It's kind of aimed at anybody that wants to to go on that journey and learn about how to do it in the right way. I, I think I've seen it casually being mentioned as enterprise Azure landing zones, and sometimes it's Azure landing zones. But what, what you're saying now is that almost any type or any size organization could deploy this. But are there different type of landing zones? Because I think I've seen something like the platform landing zone and the application landing zone. Are they all the same thing or are they sort of like subsets of Azure landing zone? Yeah, so that's the that's the kind of the work that we've been doing recently and we continue to to build on it and we continue to listen to people and understand how kind of how they're applying these concepts. So the concept of an Azure landing zone is building those platform capabilities. So it's the that conceptual architecture that we talk about in cloud adoption framework with that management group structure and applying the policies in your network and identity and management subscriptions. Those are the platform elements. That's the that is the platform that workloads live on. What we're starting to see as as quite a popular topic now is the concept of application landing zones. And if you think about the the subscription structure or the management group structure as part of an Azure landing zone, there is a section for uh, there's a management group specifically called landing zones, and that's intended to have those application landing zones in it, which then are the boundaries for where a workload team, for example, might operate, where they might run their services, deploy their code, but use the capabilities and the shared services that the platform give. So it's kind of a layered approach platform landing zone and then workload landing zones on top of it and what we typically see is organizations depending on their scale may have one or a few platform landing zones depending on what their operating model is so they might have if they're a really big organization there might be more than one but we definitely see lots and lots of workload landing zones sitting on top of that because that represents the area in which a workload team will operate i really like this and you mentioned that there is different operating models. And obviously that depends on what kind of company you are with the size of the company, 
you know, what sector you're operating in because you have different regulatory compliance. Coming back to compliance is a word I use every time because I absolutely love that and worked a lot with that in the past. And based on that, of course, every operating model will look different. And you mentioned briefly like design principles. We also have design areas. What are like the key things just top level or top of mind? What are the key things I need to think about? Imagine now I'm a company, 10,000 people, and we say, we're going to lift and shift. We're going to go to the cloud. We need somewhere to land our kind of resources. What is the approach here? Do we go to the design areas and we figure things out here? Or like, where where do we start? So, and this comes back to the point around scale of company, kind of how much you want to do, how quickly. The the really important thing that we we structure this guidance around is considerations and recommendations because ultimately every organization in the design areas that we've got in ALZ needs to think about something the decisions they make may vary slightly depending on their specific needs but the ultimately the thought process the working through those design areas so identity the tenant you're going to be running in the networking how you're going to organize your resources what your management security and governance looks like some of these things may vary depending on who the people are in the company that are going to be operating it or migrating the workloads. But the thinking still needs to be done. The work still needs to be done to determine what you want to do and how you want to do it. But what's really kind of been distilled down over the years in this Agile Landing Zone guidance is we present front and center the conceptual architecture, which is really our kind of, this is what a best practice looks like. This is what we've seen most companies be successful with. So consider this as a starting point. It's almost like the the route map or the GPS that we give customers and say, we think this is the destination for most customers. Let's help you get there by kind of giving you the starting points. So those design areas then are based on, or the conceptual architecture is based on those design areas. So then the consideration recommendations guide you through the thinking that relates to each area of that conceptual architecture. Okay. So, so sort of circling back to what I think Toby mentioned in the beginning of the episode is that my understanding is that the Azure landing zones, they belong or are part of the cloud adoption framework or CAF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in CAF, I think you have the foundational architecture, which is pretty simple, a few resource groups, a storage account, a key vault, and a virtual machine, super, super simple. Then I, I think on the other end, you have this massive enterprise landing zone thingy with with a dozen subscriptions and management groups and all kinds of fancy things in there. And how I'm often witnessing how companies and partners utilize this is that they sort of discard the foundational architecture. It's too simple. Let's not use this. But then they go all in with the enterprise one, which is obviously super complex. There's a lot of moving parts in there. So, so any sort of thoughts on this, what the approach should be and, and should the end goal really be the enterprise Azure landing zone? So yeah, the the thing that we've learned, the thing that we've kind of had feedback repeatedly over the years when it comes to an Azure landing zone is the pain or the work involved, the technical debt involved in retrofitting scale. So adding, trying to add extra capabilities to an environment if you've determine down the road that you need you know kind of extra things at the platform level is often something that we kind of we want to help customers avoid so that concept of starting with a platform that's built for scale sets a lot of customers up for success because then they can choose to add extra elements on top of it but it's been it's been designed to to accommodate that 
So the really the kind of the the most important part really of uh, the Azure Landing Zone, the concept of Azure Landing Zone, is building that structure through management groups and applying policies through those management groups. Because really that sets you up with so one of our design principles is policy driven guardrails. And the reason that's so important is because that enables you to scale safely and securely because those policies are controlling what people add to it as it expands. But setting that management group structure, which is that right in the center of that architecture, that's really the key part to being able to scale this safely and securely as extra teams want to add you know, new workloads or new capabilities. So I think finding that balance between, you know, you don't want to start too small and then have technical debt that you need to kind of in order to retrofit capabilities but being able to see the trajectory you want to go on and how you want to build it over time and putting that in from day one i think is super important yeah i really like this and, and what you mentioned here with the management group and the azure policies and things like that that getting the foundations right and getting this right from the beginning seems to make a lot of sense to spend a little bit of time on because yeah. you you will have that um, you know, as a, as a benefit moving forward with the project. So, one thing that I'm I'm thinking about is like if you see ALZ being implemented super rigidly, uh, you know, a lot of time, many months spent on planning and designing for the perfect landing zone. You know, what are the advice to maybe avoid ending up in a massive planning and deployment project that never really brings the return of investment? Because mm. what I'm what I'm taking away from this is you have to. You can deploy Azure landing zones, but you have to spend time with your Azure policies. You have to spend time getting things right. Like how much time is a right amount of time? That of course varies depending on the company and the size and, and what you want to achieve. But is there a trick to kind of avoiding spending too much time in the beginning? Like, can we do it gradually? Can we adjust that along the way? Well, I think this is the one of the big reasons why things like the cloud adoption framework, the well-architected framework, Azure Architecture Center, why all these three things exist. Because what we're doing on a daily basis, as you'll know, Tobias, is just constantly kind of hearing feedback, learning best practices from customers, partners, our field teams about what works well, what results in a good outcome, and presenting that through that guidance on learn to say, these are the things that work well for you, consider these. So the kind of the cost or the amount of time needed to plan these things, design these things, really, we want to bring it down. We want to remove the friction of figuring these things out because they can be complicated. They can be, you know, learning new skills and and, and learning new architecture concepts can be tricky. So really what we're doing with landing zones and CAF and, and all of these things is really presenting starter kits for people to say, we figured a lot of this out. We haven't figured all of it out for you because, as you say, you know, your specific requirements and scenario will vary but let's give you at least 80 percent of the starting point let's show you the considerations the recommendations that you need to work through let's give you a, a, a reference architecture and what teams in our customer success unit have done an amazing job of is building these reference implementations that even take you further so there's a portal experience which you know it's kind of like the big red easy button you can it's on rails you just select your options and hit deploy and it deploys it for you or we have BICEP and Terraform implementations. And again, they're just intended to reduce the friction as much as possible to help people get to the point of being ready to do what Azure's really there for, which is innovate and to you know, reduce costs and do all of the things that elastic hyperscale cloud services should offer. Alrighty, alrighty. I'm, I'm really liking what I hear. And I, I think you mentioned the guardrails approach. And that reminds me, I, I think in CAF maybe, 
there's this casual mention of of anti-patterns, like don't do this instead of maybe do that. And guardrails was also mentioned there in a way of don't try to build something that tries to tackle every possible problem and tries to have a policy for, for denying everything the user shouldn't be doing, but instead perhaps aim to build a guardrail sort of an approach that this this is the path we want to head toward to. Yeah. And if you need to find a detour, let's find a solution in there. So to me, it tells that CAF and WAF and, and, and the AAC, the Architecture Center, they all seem to sort of complete what, what often the consultants would say, what's the best practice? Because mm-hmm. now we can say, well, we have the guardrails, we have the technology, we have the guidance. This sort of is the best practice from Microsoft. Am I sort of getting this this correctly? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the cloud option framework, well-architected architecture center, all of these things, they simply wouldn't exist if we didn't have incredible partnerships with our field teams, with partners. We hear directly back from MVPs and regional directors. You know, it's really a reflection back on what works well for customers. So it's it's a set of best practices, but it's best practices that are proven through success. So it's it's not just kind of, you know, one of our team in a room figuring a thing out. It's it's great writing based on great kind of customer experience and then set in a context and set in a, ultimately this is, these are learning materials, right? They look, they are technical, they look like architectures, but ultimately this is skilling content. This is teaching people how to be successful. I, I really like that. And, and the fact that it's rooted in the field, it's not something that's conceptual that was made up, like here's how we want you to do things. But instead, it's the other way around saying, this is how you do things successfully. And that's proven with partners, with customers, with the field units, you know, with with massively, massive amount of customers already doing this, taking the learnings from that and then building and iterating, basically enhancing this guidance and uh, yeah, the deployment models that exist or the blueprints or the uh, uh, the bicep files and everything that goes with it that this is con- under continuous development. And that's something that I learned taking a look at this, that this is, this is, it can be opinionated, but it's based on opinions from facts of successful delivers in the field from all kinds of sizes of organizations. And I really, really love that because this is something that traditionally, if we look at some documentation, I'm thinking as a customer, I've been a customer to Microsoft for a long time before joining. It was often, here's a feature. This is how the feature works. This is how you use it. But this, this is, cross features, cross services. It covers everything that you need. doesn't matter what kind of product it, it, it's about. It's more, this is wide guidance based on real implementations coming back and the lessons learned both from customers and you know from our field units and from partners all combined into a set of updated guidance that any customer for free just can take off the bat and start, hit the ground running in Azure, which is really cool. Yeah, and I think... It's interesting, you, you make a really good point about the product documentation because it's really, it's part of the same experience. So our cloud guidance, so CAF, WAF, AAC, is kind of complementary to and benefits from us having product documentation as well. So the the two or you know four things in total are absolutely essential to be used together because we teach people in product documentation how a product works, how the features of it hang together, concepts and quick starts for that product. But then alongside that, that skilling experience of 
you know, I want to be an architect, I need to be a security engineer, I want to be a migration project, you know, those kind of things. They're the things that we teach in CAF and WAF and AAC. But you're right, that you know, there is a lot of really good experience that's found in it. But we aim to balance considerations and recommendations so that we give people the this is what we recommend because we've proved it. But also consider these things and maybe maybe you find your own outcome, but we'll present you the recommendations as well, which are effectively those best practices. Okay. So so for somebody listening on this, maybe maybe uh once they publish the episode or or two months from now, what would be the best resource? to learn on this one because I try to memorize all the aka.ms short <laughs> URLs. So I know aka.ms slash ALZ that goes to Azure Landing Zone, but anything else people should look into and we'll definitely put the links in the show notes as well. Yes, I think the learn.microsoft.com is the kind of hub for all of this. So Cloud Adoption Framework, Well-Architected Framework, Azure Architecture Center, the product documentation, the learn modules that we create that help kind of guide people through a, a learning based experience of you know almost like a kind of exam or training module type content that's all found there our assessments platform which again is another experience for helping people find specifically the answer to the problem that they've got or the maturity stage that they're at all of that's under that learn.microsoft.com so that's i would say that's probably the starting point for all of this because um, that's that's a home for all of everything we do one thing I was uh, taking a look at as I was reading up on on ALZ is like one thing that you mentioned now is like where can I learn more? Where you can go to these learn.microsoft.com. But thinking about learning more about how I can leverage ALZ and imagine I have a team now. I need to get like organizational alignment. I need to get my organization ready. We need to break down silos that we have in the organization. I, I know that these are things we're talking about. Are there any learnings from this or any challenges or any blockers? Because I, I think this is perhaps the biggest challenge to adoption is it's not just about a technical implementation. It's about your organization needs to embrace change in how we do things, just like with security, right? Security is a, it's a team effort, right? Everyone is in charge of or accountable or responsible for making sure we all drive security forward in an organization. So it's a shared responsibility. How do we think about organizational readiness and, and things like that? Do we have guidance for that? Or how, can we tell people, how do you, like now you're starting this adoption thing, you're gonna land in Azure with an Azure landing zone. How do we tell the organization and the stakeholders and the business decision makers, IT decision makers and our architects and everyone, you know, what they need to do so they understand what changes we need to do in the organization? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, so the the kind of the start to finish the, the the methodology of the cloud adoption framework really guide people through that that process change, that organizational change. So the other methodologies that come before and go after the ready methodology, which as I say is the center of it. So strategy and planning and and, and adoption, which includes migration, for example, teaches people how to think about the benefits of cloud, the skills that are going to be needed by people, the teams that are going to be needed. And then govern, manage, secure, which are really like, well, we're in Azure now. How do we run it? How do we make the best out of this? So how do we manage it effectively? How do we keep it secure? How do we govern it so we have good controls in place for policies and for costs? So the end-to-end the -end journey of Cloud Adoption Framework is really intended to be that kind of playbook for customers to, to learn everything they need to about their, their Azure adoption journey. So I've, I've got one last sort of 
uh, idea or question here is that with everything in Azure, you typically go to the Azure pricing calculator. You put in, I'm planning on deploying four VMs and what what's the estimated cost, at least to get a ballpark figure for a customer perhaps. And I know for the Azure landing zone, it depends obviously, but do you have any insights or any guidance on what would help for a potential customer or a partner company in in perhaps considering the the effects and and and, and the integrations within the ALZ on on how to perhaps estimate what what the cost of the deployed artifacts is is going to be? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that Azure Landing Zone, the core of Azure Landing Zone, what it deploys kind of more structural than services. So it's management groups, it's policies, those kind of things. But some of the uh, additional benefits, some of the, the important things that get added on. So if we take the portal implementation, for example, where you can just sit there and radio button in yes or no, whether I want to deploy things. The things that will be cost considerations for people will be things like DDoS protection, deploying Defender, what kind of networking I want to deploy. So the those are the kind of things. and And you know you can see through the implementations what it includes and how it does it so it's worth just as part of those considerations and recommendations thinking about which of those elements people want to use and that will ultimately help kind of inform cost yeah i, I really like this and and one thing to keep in mind i know we talked about that a, a couple of times and we also did an episode i don't know what number that was we talked about the well-architected framework and cost optimizations and we did touch on the subject of cost for networking and like ingress and egress, you send data between data centers. So I think there's something to take into consideration here as well. I think you mentioned networking. So all the fees that are associated with that, it also depends, you know, how much data do you intend yeah. to send? Are you, do you have huge databases? Do you have microservices sending a lot of data across regions? Because then you have to pay for it. But if they are in the same region, you don't have um, the network cost between the, the data endpoints. If the compute and the storage is in the same region. So there are a lot of considerations, which I guess is impossible to cover because every service handles that differently. But I, I like this. As always, as a consultant, the answer is it depends. And then you have to kind of give you give give me all the variables and then we have to kind of compute something or calculate something. And I think the same thing apply here. You have the structural infrastructure, Azure policies, the management groups and, and things like that, which is more like the framework around it. But then the resources you deploy, the amount of data that you send between resources and all of these things, what network security things like DDoS that you mentioned, if you want the premium or whatever we call that these days, that's going to heavily impact uh, the cost as well, of course. So uh, this is really good, like really good insights. Um, I think I have exhausted all the immediate questions from top of mind. What I want to do is obviously run into Azure portal and I want to say, set me up a new landing zone and I want to take it for a spin and see what comes out of it. Uh, so I might just, uh, might just be doing that. Do you have any other questions on your side, Yossi? No, I'm, I'm full of ideas. I, I know after we're done with recording this, I will fix the kids some lunch, but right after I will, I will go to Microsoft Learn to check the latest on this one and perhaps tinker around a little bit with, with the landing zones. So. The last bit we have is the unexpected question. And, and Dom, this unexpected question would be for you. Are you ready? Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. If you could compare yourself with any animal, which would it be and why? <laughs> what <a> question? <laughs> I, I guess it would depend on who you ask. I, I think 
I think I'd like to see myself as, I don't know, something like a dolphin, like elegant, intelligent. I think I think most people around me would probably think of me more like a Labrador, like boundless <laughs> energy and kind of running around all over the place. So somewhere between a Labrador and a dolphin. <laughs> a Labradolphin. All right. I like this. I like this. The dolphin one, I I could have never guessed that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, especially the in, intelligent bit there. So either a Labradolphin or a dolphin, Dolphinador? A Dolphinador, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, this was fun as always. Thank you for tuning in. We'll have a fresh episode for you next week on Wednesday. And thank you, Dom, for joining us. 